and came to me and said, Brother Mike, when I give to God, I expect nothing in return. Hey, uh, let's go ahead and cut this. I don't know if I can handle that video one more time. <clears throat> Welcome to my church. Did you guys want to see the rest of that video? I thought if you guys had been here for the thrust last three weeks, three weeks or four weeks, if you'd seen that one more time, you'd be really like, like, like slit your wrists. Because like when I see that video, I just like want to throw up. So we are actually in that series. It was called Burned by the Church, but I just couldn't like watch it in its entirety one more time. So if you're new this morning, just know that we just kind of canceled something because I just, we just didn't like it any longer. So uh, anyways, welcome to our church. My name is Jeff and I'm one of our pastors on our staff. And uh, we are in a series where we've been talking about how basically uh, as we've been learning doing this series that there are droves and droves and droves of people that have been burned by the church. And we started that, this, this conversation out in our very first week with really just kind of like an apology from the, the church. Like, not that we could apologize for someone else's stuff or remarks, but on behalf of the church, we just said, hey, we're sorry. You know, if, if, if you've ever been burnt by the church or you showed up with, you ha- with an emotion or an, a pain or a memory or, or of some type of <clears throat> being frustrated, at this thing we call the church, we said, this is, this is our, our apology because we have learned that there's just many of us that have been bruised up in one shape or the other by the church. Um, then we had our second week, uh, Richard uh, shared and talked this conversation from the standpoint of both being someone who's been burned by the church and someone who burned the church before, did, did some stupid stuff and, you know, kind of hurt some people in the process. And then, of course, last week, my wife, she shared, but that really wasn't burned by the church, but she did a great job, nonetheless, for, for all our moms on Mother's Day. And then today, I'm going to end this conversation. <clears throat> yeah, excuse me, my, my voice has been a little funky today and uh, raspy and um, not sounding so great, but I feel great, so I'm, I'm good. And uh, really excited about this, this conversation today because what I'm learning and, and, and I'm, I'm really wanting to convey today is, is a big perspective that I think can help us grasp maybe why, we, why we've been burned by the church. Um, the, the, I really want us to grasp today one huge monstrous thing jumping into this conversation, and that is that, that God loves the church pretty much more than anything that there is. I've never done that before. I just like whacked that, this little pack, and then I was just obsolete. Like, who needs me, right, um, now that I can't have a microphone? So there is nothing God loves more than the church. In fact, we read God's word, what he told us about, what he thought, and we see all through the pages of Scripture that he loved this thing he called the church so much so he built it and branded it as himself being the groom and the church being like a bride. Now, I know that must conjure up all sorts of things. Some of you guys, when you refer to your spouse, your bride, you may, you know, say other things like, you know, I'm dragging the ball and chain or here's my ex-wife or my, you know, whatever. And, and totally the opposite of how God looked at the church. God loved the church, I think, 
more than we probably can ever comprehend. So much so, he didn't even, he didn't even do what some men do when they're talking about their spouses and they might tease, you know how guys tease their spouses when they want to say something but they're a little scared to say it like, you know, baby, you know, you forgot an ingredient, you forgot something here in the meal, but they don't want to say that so they just tease like, oh, you know, you know, it was great, but, you know, was there, was there salt in it, you know, or, or they'll say, guys will tease and they'll, with their spouse, you know, jank on, uh, I bought you that cell phone or I provided that cell phone or maybe she provided, I don't know, but I, I call you on it and I can't ever get you on it. So I'm, what I'm saying, Jesus never did stuff like that. He never teased, he never provoked, he, he never, you know, said things that would be anything negative or demonstrative against his bride. He loved the church so much so that he crafted the image of a groom that would stop at nothing to pursue and show sacrifice and love for his church. So the question is, why then, this is what's crazy for me, why then are so many of us hurt by the very thing God wanted to shower his love on? Why do we carry around some like frustrated emotion at this guy, what he said, or somebody who took something or did something or erased something? Why is it if God loved the church, the church, so much so, are so many people burned by it? Well, I want to jump into this conversation with some, some truths of why I think we could be burned by the church. And I want to walk away with some tangible things we can take away. I think number one, Number one, God never intended us to be burned by the church. It was never his intention for people to be bruised up by the church. It was never what he desired. It wasn't anything to do with God's love and affection for the church. It was nothing on what God did because he never intended for us to be burned by the church. Let me show this to you. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, And all of this, you know, this is, this is the Apostle Paul who was not an eyewitness to Jesus' you know, death, burial, and resurrection, but he was just shortly away from, he knew, he knew other disciples that had seen Jesus. So here is a very closely related to you know, an eyewitness account of Jesus, the apostle Paul, a writer, writing to the church at Corinth as he explains the whole kind of you know, grasp together who God is, the church, and this beautiful relationship. And he says, all of this, like all of what I'm trying to help you grasp about who God is, who the church is, all of this is a gift from God. It's a gift. Like he's talking about Jesus, Jesus being the eternal gift of salvation. He's talking about Jesus in, you know, God in believers being the church. He says, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself. Now, I love that part because that kind of helps because if you know anything about my church, this church, our mission statement, what we are trying to accomplish is helping people find their way back to God. And that's what this verse says, that this is a gift. The church was a gift, and the goal of the gift was to help bring, to help to bring people back to God through Christ. And God has given us this task. Given who this task? giving us this task of reconciling people to him. So we, the church, are being used by God. God's leveraging our, our junk, our story, 
Your, your, even, even your burden by the church, he wants to leverage even that to help others find their way back to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling not just one, not just you know, one little church over here, but he was reconciling, reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins. This is probably like the, the greatest news you could ever, ever, ever have. God was no longer counting people's sins. So if you like came for the first time to get it today and we're talking about the church and you're going to feel like, eh, maybe this doesn't apply to me all that much, think again because this verse ought to just like get us like pretty, pretty doggone fired up because nobody has to walk through the doors of the church with feeling like they're going to look at my sin and count my sins. Why? Because if we're acting like Jesus and being like him, then we're no longer looking for, trying to point out, trying to judge, take account for somebody else's sins being against them. Why? Because Jesus solved that once and for all when he went to the cross. So no longer is that going on. And what's cool is he gave us this wonderful message of what Jesus did for us to bring us back to to himself. The message of reconciling things. You know what God's been doing since Adam and Eve? He has been relentlessly pursuing his church. Um, You, I promise, have never seen me as mad as I was the moment after I was married. (laughs) That sounds a little awkward, I know. Uh, the, the, the moment I was married, we said I do, and we went out to the, 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 the big, huge area where we'd have our, you know, wedding reception, where we had hundreds, literally hundreds of people there, and in the midst of all these folks, I had my, my best friends, guy, I had like 15 guys in my wedding, college buddies, high school buddies, you know, just really good friends, mounting the attack against me. Uh, it wasn't that the night before them tying me up in front of a restaurant, stripping me down to my boxer shorts and bringing like every bit of like what hell must consist, consist of in like throwing it on my body, squirting it on me, sticking it on me and leaving me there tied up in front of like people coming out of the restaurant. That wasn't enough. <clears throat> I'm on stage right after the whole, the whole cake thing and I'm sidetracked talking to some sweet lady. I think she's got honest motives. No, she was mom to one of my buddies. And all of a sudden, I see about six guys run up to my, my brand new, I'm supposed to protect her kind of bride, and they throw her in, in, their, in her wedding gown over their shoulders and run through people and go out the back door. All of a sudden... In front of everybody, I yelled to the top of my lungs, like, Dad, stop him! <laughs> and I looked at my, my cousin Dale uh, Murphy. He's like 6'8", like, I swear he's over 400. And no one messed with Dale. I was like, Dale, Dale, get the door! And they're like looking, and my dad's going for the back door, and these guys bust out the door, and then like five of them shut the doors. And I promise you, I, I, I knew what was up. They told me more was coming, and I kept on acting like, ah, you guys can't get me. That was nothing the night before. You're a bunch of sissies. You don't know. I mean, all that stuff. All of a sudden, I'm mad. Like, I'm on my wedding day, and they, they told me it was coming, but I didn't believe it would happen. They had a change of clothes for her. Like, we're taking her from you. You won't get her back today. And I'm like, 
no way. I sprinted off the stage, and with like as fast as I could run at 24 years old, I knocked two guys holding the doors. I knocked two guys like four feet in the air as I busted the doors open. I had like a bruise on my hip for like three months afterwards because I laid, I laid them out. I ran out. I mean, I'm so mad because they've taken my bride. I run out. I'm walking in the highway trying to stop the Jeep, the convertible Jeep, where my wife's got her hair. She paid probably $100 to have it done, right? She's in her wedding gown, and everybody's like, this is like all made up. This is awesome. No, it's not. I was like, I'm pointing them out going, now, you, now, like, stop, get over here now. Some of you guys are scared. I, I'm, I'm sorry I'm scaring you. I'm just like reliving the emotion. So finally they gave her up, and I, I carried her out. I, I quickly went to our, like, we had a, like a, in like an old, like, I don't know, what it was kind of a cool old car that we rode off in. And they, I stood up out of the sunroof, and they, they said, just say it. Say it, Murphy. Say it. I was like, all right, you got me. They were like, yeah. But I went home that day, and my heart was pounding because I felt like the girl that I was going to take home, somebody had her and wasn't going to give her back. Can I tell you, that is the most weak and pathetic emotion for loving your bride in comparison to how much God relentlessly pursues us. Like, like I, I, feel, I felt like I was such a man that day when we recounted that I knocked two guys like on their rear ends, like four feet out of the way. I was like, Dad, you see that? He's like, yes, yeah, son, you didn't need any help. You had it all. I mean, you did great. You didn't lose your temper. I'm like, Dad, I did. He's like, I know you did, but you, you tried to compose yourself. I see that. But that is... That is weak sauce compared to like Jesus, when he says, I gave my life for my, my bride, the visual picture is, I will stop at nothing for my church, for the people who I love, nothing. So why is it then that we are burned by the church? If God loves us that much that he would send Jesus to bust the doors open and go after his bride and point out wrong and say, leave her alone, she's mine, I will bust you up to all the evil and all the wrong in the world because he loves us, then why is it that we would be burned by the church? Let me give you some truths. Oh, I already started number one. <laughs> that's right. God, God never intended for us to be burned by the church. That's number one. And there you got the verse. Number two is the church is never going to stop. God will never stop pursuing, lovingly pursuing, not angry, I'm mad at. No, he's like, no, no, I love you. Come back. He'll never stop doing it. How do we know this? Matthew 16, 18 says this, upon this rock, speaking of not like on a pastor rock or some people of the choir rock or the church dude that parked you in the parking lot or, you know, the guy that held the door or, the, you know, the one dude who played keyboard on stage, nobody can, can be the rock that Jesus is talking about. He's speaking of himself. Upon me, on me, upon me, this rock, I will build, build the church. He's speaking of the global church, but he's thinking individually of you and I. I want to build you. I want to allow all that deconstruction, all that mess that's, that's sunk in, I'm going to reconstruct it. 
I'm going to build my church. And guess what? The, you can almost like chant this, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? Like the announcer, when the guy, you know, announces the two, you know, UFC guys about the fight, he's like, in this corner. I mean, you can just, you can feel like the enormity of this. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. It's not going to stop. I'm going to build it and build it and build it. It will perpetuate. It will never stop. I guarantee it. I'm going to win. No one's going to come against me that's going to stop what God's, what I'm doing in the church. So we get this picture. God intended, never intended us for, to be burned by the church. He didn't intend it that way. And he, he's wanting us to be clear that the church is never going to end. And one more thing. If Satan, that get louder all of a sudden. Sorry. If Satan cannot stop the church, if he can't stop like the assembled church, and even when we break up from Sunday and we go about our way throughout the week, God, you know, we're the church, he's in us, and we're, we're, whether we're assembled together or where we're other places throughout the week, if he can't stop what's happening kind of collectively and corporately, then he'll try to stop you. He'll try to just stop you. He'll try to, he'll try to dissect and graph you like, you know, if, if you think of us being the body of Christ, and that's one illustration you see in the Bible. If you understand us as being, you know, the body of believers, and if Satan can dissect your finger of the body, he knows he can, you know, take someone in and mess up pieces of the body. He can steal parts and get people away from God. He can't do it collectively. He'll try to stop us individually. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How does he do it? By getting us disillusioned. Like by getting us unclear about what the church is. By, by somehow sort of deconstructing what our belief is about how God views us, the church. He, he'll do it by hurting us. He'll, he'll, he'll do it by getting your eyes on temporary man, you know? He'll do it by, you know, a church you were part of, maybe this church. He didn't show up in time. They didn't do something that was right. They did something that was wrong. He said something that was, that was stupid. The enemy will do whatever it takes to try to stop you individually and mess up what God's doing eternally. Now... <clears throat> When, when they took my bride, um, I, I, can, I can remember it like it was yesterday. The very next day, the experience with my bride was even that much greater. Because somebody tried to take her, I got her back, and at that point, I reassured her, baby, I'm sorry, and she didn't care. But I felt like someone took you, and that's never going to happen again. No one will come swipe you for me, baby. From now on, I am going to take care of you. That's what God wants us to understand. So let me give you, let me give you what I think are probably the biggest reasons of why we ever get burned by the church in the first place. And I think this will help us in our minds understand really what God intended for 
the church to be. Uh, so here's number one reason. Uh, it's, it's not all the reasons. It's just what I think are some of the biggest reasons why we might be getting burned by the church and how we can keep from getting to this place. Number one, um, biggest reason I think we're burned by the church is because I think we have the wrong view of the church. I just think we have the wrong perception of, of one, how much God loves it, and the, the wrong view of the church. Uh, let, me, let me start this explanation out with Scripture. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, we're talking about God, to God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or all we imagine according to his power, that is, again, here, here comes the church part, according to his power that is at work in us, through us, to him be the glory in, again, the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Think about this. It's talking about the church from generation to generation. And like I love the Indian, forever and ever, amen. The reason we have the wrong view of the church is because most of us think of the church as this little, nice, little, sweet, kind of like, I don't know, it's just maybe not so purposeful or intentional, little, nice, white, of course, my little thing is Christmas looking, and I'm pretty sure it was an ornament at our house uh, that hangs on a Christmas tree. And, and maybe that's even part of how you view the church, four walls, a steeple, and maybe Santa's on his way, and sort of we kind of feel like this nice little, like, not so great, not so, like, incredible, not so much immeasurable, not so much like the God of the heavens above is like doing something with this. We pretty much picture this as like this little place, particular place, a particular look, nice four walls that sits on that corner for that period of time and does its nice little thing with that little group of people. He said, let me, let me tell you how God views the church. Let me, let me show this picture up here. God doesn't view the church like on this little corner. God views the church like, see all those little lights? God says, listen, I'm doing something across the globe. It's not something that's like contained within the little four walls of this nice little thing on that corner on South and whatever, Georgia Street. It's across the globe. And God says, I want to leverage the stories and the hearts and the struggles of every man, every woman, every child, all their, all their pain, all their struggles, I want to leverage it. Why? Because I'm bringing them back to myself by leveraging the church to be a part of a bigger mission, a bigger plan than the little white thing that sits on the corner. The church, not this church, not my church, but the church. The church. God wants us to see ourselves in the master plan, the bigger plan, where he's reaching the world through us. So I don't think we necessarily have the right view of the church. And maybe we've been, maybe part of us being burned by the church has been because we had the wrong view of the church. Maybe it was sort of like my friend, an old neighbor in Atlanta, Ray Barker. We moved, in, we moved into a street in Atlanta preparing to launch a brand new church in Atlanta. And the, one of the first couples we, we met 
was my next door neighbors called the Barkers. Ray, Sonia Barker, Sarah Beth, and Dylan were their two kids. And I, when I recount the story of Ray and Sonia, I remember them saying, yeah, we haven't been in church since I, were, I think like, you know, I was like sixth grade or seventh grade, you know, 12, 13, 14 years of age. This is Ray. And he goes, I, Ray, Sonia couldn't even remember when the last time she was in church. She was a little kid, but both of them had not been going to church. And here we are, they're like, great. You know, some dude's moving on our street, not that many people on our street, and they're going to try to get us to come to church. And we were so hands-off, we diffused, you know, and just like, we're just, we just became friends with these folks. But I remember the day that Ray told me. He said, you know what I can remember about church was the time that my dad got really, really mad and really, really hurt over the pastor. And something happened, and we never went back. He said, I talked to my dad years later. He said, yeah. We were very involved in the church, and we went on vacation, and the pastor, while we were gone, made some real negative comments, and it was about us, and he said something to the effect about people being gone on vacation, going into the summer, and he didn't like it that they weren't there. He, he called our names out, said something about my dad. My dad was hurt. He was angry. We never went back. I don't know what the pastor said. I mean, if it was summer vacation, maybe the pastor was feeling a little insecure, maybe a little fearful, like, man, if everybody goes on vacation, we won't make budget that much that, that month. And, you know, pastor must be thinking, like, little bitty church and little itty bitty God and, like, you know, that family. And, he, and all of a sudden, the, the church became very small to them. And they never went back. But what's ironic is the very thing that, like, that they understood was the thing that hurt their dad by us moving on the street and starting a church, the very same thing. The church was what won them back to God. God leveraged dad's story, the hurt of that story, to connect with our story of being bruised up. And God used the same church, the church, to bring them back to themselves. But oftentimes, many of us easily get the wrong view of the church, maybe because one little white building, one stupid thing a pastor said, one thing, one dilemma, one struggle, one problem, and we reduce God, we reduce the church, and we let what the enemy wants to do, enemy's trying to do, rob us of what God's going to do if we're still sort of connected to it. So the Barker's, what I love about their story is the very thing that hurt them won them back to God's heart. So that's one reason why we're, I think we're burned by the church, wrong view of the church. Uh, another one is, um, another wrong view we have about the church is, and I think you probably all know which one I'm talking about. What would you say would, in your mind might be one of the number one things that people hate about the church? Something they talk about that like really picks and prize and stuff and that's personal to us. Wrong view of what? Wrong view of, what do you think? You can just shout it out. Money. money, money, money. Yeah, yeah. Last hour, they were, they were more awake than you guys. Everyone was like, money, money. <laughs> we hate when the preacher talks about the money. All right? I mean, I would say that I, I probably should have listed that as number one. I would say a big, big thing of why so many people were burned by the church is because the wrong view of money. And maybe they talked about it in such a way that was, I don't know, wrong or indifferent or made you feel like less than or you should have done more than or 
just guilted you into something. And that's not, again, that, never God's intention. In fact, I think, I think most of us in some way, shape, or form could have the wrong view of money. And that's a part of why we've been burned by the church. Because possibly we got the wrong perspective about our stuff. Could it be that we have a wrong view of money because we think it's ours to begin with? Let me, let me just tell you, uh, yesterday, um, she's not in here. They're not in here. Let me be a little bigger than that. Um, my kids, yesterday, um, two of us, two of us were, were laying in a brand new hammock that I bought for the one that was not there in the moment, who drove up with mom in the car as two of us, I being one, in the hammock, laying there trying to act like we're not in the hammock. So when they drove up, they could kind of wonder if something's in there or someone's in there and we were going to make a noise and hopefully they would see that we're in there. We wanted, that. we wanted to get attention. So the one person drove up, two of us laying in this hammock. They didn't see us and so we were like all bundled up and we're going beep, beep, making noises like, hey, you're in my hammock. And all of a sudden they run out there and we get like a, a lashing about, you could, you could tear it. You, there's too much weight in it. I'm like, well, how much, is, how much can it hold? Like 400 pounds. I'm 200. This person's like 70. I think that's like 270. We're a long way. He's like, no, get out, get out. I'm like, oh, we're just trying to play with you. And we're trying to laugh. And we're like giggling. And I had the best time with laying in the hammock with one of my kids. I don't know if it was male or female. Just one of them. Right? And, and all of a sudden this is happening. It's like, I'm talking about this tomorrow. We're, we're living this right now, how we experience this. And I go, all right, hold on, wait, 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 wait a second. Whose is this? It's mine. You bought it for me. Like, what, who? Who bought it for you? You bought it for me, but, but you're in it and it's going to break. Like, I know I bought it for you. And guess what? If I break it, I'll buy you another one. I'll buy you ten more. And, and, and that person sort of didn't like any of that conversation. They stomped off and got a little mad. I was like, no, come back, come back. I'm just playing with you. But can I just say to you, Daddy loves you. I bought it because I, I love you. But what you're being right now with your stuff is you're being controlling because you think it's all yours. And Daddy did give it to you, but I can take it back. You need to change your attitude right now. And that's how the conversation went. Do you know, I think that's how most of us view the whole money thing when it comes to God and his economy of life. Most of us somehow think that what is ours is ours. And what's his is his, but this is my stuff. God, that's your stuff. But he, let me just tell you the truth of the matter, and this is where I think we get sideways. And this is, this is one of those verses that like, like, like really gets me, because I'm like you. I'm a part of the church also. I have a role in the church, but, but I'm, I'm like you. So when I find stuff like this, I'm like, whoo, this is a strong one, God. Malachi 3.10 says this, will a mere mortal rob God? Like, what do you mean rob God? Meaning like, is everything yours, God? I think God thinks so. He says, will a mere mortal, like, like elevating himself, like I am God, you are my creation. I'm God, you're my creation, and will you just, are you going to rob me? Yet yeah, you rob me, but you ask, 
How are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. This is, and this is really, really strong. But you are under a curse. Now he's speaking in the Old Testament to like a group of people. So if you want to kind of say, well, you know, that's for the Old Testament. It was for like specific things. Then you just kind of got to look at it this from like God in the Old Testament, God in the New Testament, still the same God, right? God in the Old Testament, we kind of like had some things that changed, like namely Jesus came and he did some things a little bit differently. But the principle, who God is, who God is, is who he was then and who he is now. So you could find the same stuff in the New Testament, just saying. So however you look at this as he was speaking to an individual group, we get the feeling here that God wants us to understand that I'm large and I'm in charge and everything you have was gifted to you by me. And if you're holding back, if you're saying, hey, that's my stuff and you're pulling back, he says, you're being stingy because don't forget who gave it to you. And if you're trying to hold it back, he says, then you're withholding from me and ultimately you're kind of like separating yourself from me just because of the mindset. So here's a mindset. He says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse that there be food in my house. God wants to leverage all of our stuff, all of our stories. Doesn't mean you go sell the farm and get it all to God. But he wants us to understand that everything you have, I've given you. Don't forget that's what God's saying. Don't miss that. And he also says, you bring it so there may be food in my house. What God wants to do is leverage our lives, leverage our stuff in such an amazing way that the church isn't just this little itty bitty deal that goes on over here in this corner, but the church is like that picture. We're we're able to leverage our stuff, our lives, our stories for, for kingdom's sake. And what that does is connect us closer and God leverages all that to grow us, to change us. And so he says, you do this so there be food in my house. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not, as you're testing me, throw open the floodgates of heaven to pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Can I tell you, I've been trying to learn how to trust God for about 20 years now. My wife and I have been tithing, and when the word tithing there, it means like a tenth. My wife and I have personally been giving 10% of our gross, I don't know where we kind of get that from the Bible, but like, you know, trusting God's trusting God. So we, we have been giving 10% of our combined incomes for over 20 years, and can I say probably in the last 10 years, we've been, get, we've been giving well over 10% of our combined incomes to the church. And I don't say that to say, hey, look what we've been doing. I've been saying, I'm, I'm trying to help you to grasp where I'm coming from, and that is, I've been trying to learn who God is and how I am able to trust him for 20-some years. I've been learning that. And what I'm understanding is many of us, myself included, when times are good, when times are bad, it's so easy for us to, to lose sight of the fact that God is in control. And God wants me in the darkest times to keep trusting him. And there is no better way for our hearts to grasp how trustworthy God is better than our money, right? When have been some of the lowest times in your life? 
when you were broke? When you looked over and you didn't have enough, right? Who is the God of enough? God is a God of enough. Who, what we read in Scripture is God is the one who provides plants on the earth. God is the one who provides people on the earth. Everything I have is something God gave me. And God just says, listen, could it be that the very thing you might be burned over is the very thing I'm trying to break you of? You see, what I noticed yesterday in this course of trying to have this conversation with one of my children is that this person was trying to ultimately be in control of their life, right? Something is mine now. I have something that I can say I own, and all of a sudden, I'm the owner, forgetting who provided it. And every good dad, every good mom wants our children to know who gave you that? Who took care of you for all that? Who, who provided that for you? And that's the same thing where God is. God's like, I'm, I'm the groom. You are my bride. Do you not think I could give you 500 of these little, little things you're laying in right now? I, I got this. I can take care of this. But what we do is we become scared. We become insecure. We become fearful, and we try to like pull it all tight. We try to nest. We try to take care of it on our own. We try to say, God, I got this. Don't, don't touch my stuff because it's my stuff. I can take care of it better than you. God goes, no, you can't. I got the whole world in my hands. I love the church. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. Don't get grafted off. Don't get mad. If you're mad, let's work through this. Let's work it out. Let's love it out. Let's trust it out. What God says to us, test me in this. And not, this is not just a money thing. This is a life thing. God wants us to trust him. I would say the last thing is this. Probably the last thing with why we might be bruised by the church, burnt, is maybe the wrong view of our role. You know we have a role? Like there is a role that we play in not the little bitty church, but the church. I think we have the wrong view of our role. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore I urge you, like strongly trying to stress to you, let me stress to you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we talked about God's mercy before, in view of God's love, in view of God's grace, in view of everything that God wants to show us, shower on us about how much he loves his bride. Therefore, let me urge you in view of all that love and mercy and grace, let me have you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This says to us that God wants us to play a role in what he's doing in the world. If we will offer up what God has given us, everything that this can produce, right? I can, I can work with my hands. I can use my mind. Oh, God gave me all of that. Everything that this thing can do, God wants me to offer it up and use it in leverage for what he's doing, playing a role in the church, not the church, but like the church. And if and when I'm doing that, this is what it says. It says, 
When we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, it is holy and it is pleasing to God. He says, this, this is how you truly worship me. When you are giving of yourself, playing your role in the church, what he's saying is, then you're going to grow. Then you're going to change. It's not, it's not that you grow because you showed up and looked at the back of someone's like nice little bald spot that they're trying to cover up this morning or like pointed out little, little here's, some, here's some dandruff, I can help you with that, sir. It's not that we show up on Sundays and all of a sudden we played a role in church. No, God's like, you are the church. Everywhere you go, everything you do, we are the church. Leverage what I've given you for what I'm doing in the world. When we understand the church, when we understand who loves the church, when we understand our role in the church, oh my gosh, then all of a sudden, we go from like the, the bride, or let me just reverse this, the whole bridegroom thing. We, we go from like consumer to contributor. Do you, you know, um, when I, I've done this before and this is terrible. I've come home before and I have uh, eaten a wonderfully prepared meal by my wife. And I love to cook too. And in, in fact, I think I, I might be, I, I think I, I, could, I could probably do a cooking show. I love to cook. That's not really true. It's a slight exaggeration, but I love to cook. And I'll come home on occasion, Christy will cook a great meal, but there'll be, there'll be an ingredient in my mind that would make it at least better to my specification. And you know what I do that's so stupid sometimes? I'm like, oh, this is really, really good, but hey, did you think about putting that in it? To which my wife will often say, you should have cooked it. Right? Do you know what I'm showing up as? I'm showing up as only the consumer. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. How many of you moms feel like that sometimes? Feed me, feed me, feed me. Kids show up, they're like, Mom, I'm hungry. Mom's like, kitchen's closed. Everybody out. Right? I did my job. I think sometimes God feels like we show up to the church and we're like, hey, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Do this for me. Take care of me. And you know what? If you're a guest here this morning, you can show up and we're going to do nothing but try to shower you and, and feed you and give you everything that God wants for you to have. But over time, over time, if you stay there, you'll become that like sort of like hoarding, like staying in the same place kind of person because we could be missing the point of all this. This is not about our consumption. It's about our contributorship. And when we can grasp that you will forever see God and his church and you're rolling it magnificently differently. You want to know why maybe you would say, you know what, I haven't grown in years and I just kind of like God's not that big and the church is kind of a joke. You know why? Because the enemy has robbed your role. He has stolen what God is trying to accomplish. He has erased who God is because you are grafted somehow away with God, what God loves so much. God called us his bride. And he will stop at nothing to show his church he loves us until the day. God, this is awesome. 
until the day that He comes back for us and takes us to heaven forever. Can you say that with me? Forever. I think that's what He's going to say, right? No, that's just... Is this not crazy? I think we get burned by the church because someone's trying to confuse it for us. And does he, does, he, does, he, does he do a pretty good job sometimes of making people mean and do some dumb stuff and say some stupid things and act? Yeah. But you know what? That's not God. That's just human, human you know, fallenness. But you know what God's doing? He's taking all the fallenness, all the brokenness and saying, don't quit. I love you. Don't quit. Stay in there. Don't quit. Start giving up of your life because when you give it up, when you lose it, guess what he says in Scripture? You will find it. Pray with me. God, I, uh, again, I don't even really know how to apply this other than would you just speak to our hearts today, God, and show us where it is in our own life that we might need to take some spiritual steps to be a part of what you're doing. So the, the, like, the doing, the, the, the part of following would be done out of joy, out of experiencing you, not out of duty, not like, ah, oh, i got to do this because, ah, oh, they want it. And they, eh. God, help us to see you. Help us to experience you. God, I pray in the process of us being the church, God, we could experience all your glory, all your love. God, I pray as we, as we see and experience that, God, we could see how your church is playing a powerful role in bringing the world, every man, every woman, every child back to you, including us and our hearts and our beliefs. And I pray that you would just help each of us today to see it the way you see it. God, I pray you'd help each of us to be on board with what you're doing and taking steps Maybe, maybe even daily of trusting you more, following you more. God, I just thank you for your love. God, I just personally, my, me, God, me, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything from you, God. But I confess my fears. I confess my sins, God. I just want to say, I'm sure all of us, God, maybe I feel the same way. God, we just thank you for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for today. Amen. Church, you're awesome, and I really do love you. And uh, we're going to dismiss in just a minute. If you're a guest, please come back again. Uh, next week's going to be very unique, the weirdest, strangest, oddest service at my church of all times. I don't know if that makes you want to come or if it scares you off. But I would say real point and purpose and what God's going to do next week. So I hope you'll be here. Um, our host teams are going to come and we're going to close with an offering. And I, let me just say again, if you're a guest, please just be our guest today. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not wanting to make you do anything uh, today other than be our guest. Um, let me pray for you. Pray for us. Pray for this, this, this moment, this time. And I, I ask that in the end here, God, Guys, that you would just, I mean, we're going to play this last song. If God moves your heart, just celebrate what he's doing in our lives and what, what he did for us, by dying and then not 
staying dead but coming back to life. That's pretty awesome. God, I pray you'd use these resources, God, to further your gospel, to really take away the greed and the control of our lives. God, help us to never see this world in our lives as something that is, is all mine. God, I pray you'd break us from the greed and break us from just living with a single me, myself, and I mindset. God, help us to see ourselves as a, as a big, incredible, awesome, powerful family connected to you. God, help us to fulfill our role, not just this church, my church, but the church. God, grow us, teach us. God, I pray that we would experience you in the days to come like never before. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.